Good evening. Welcome. It is nine after the hour. I am Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News. The phone number 404-872-0750. 1-800-WSB-TALK. Let's get into the news. And it was a meet the press weekend for me. And I've got, well, I got green room gossip for you, which is the best sort of gossip. But before I do that, there's some breaking news just announced Chuck Grassley, chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, announces that they will put Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation vote on the calendar for September 13th. That is this Thursday, September 13th. They have scheduled Brett Kavanaugh's committee vote. Now, you do need to know that there is a rule in the United States Senate that a committee vote can be postponed by the minority for seven days. So they'll probably do that, the Democrats will, which means he'll actually be voted out of committee September 20th. Mitch McConnell says they will begin the 30 hours of debate ASAP once that happens. There's a reason for that. Several Democratic partisan judges around the country, including in North Carolina, are questioning redistricting at the last minute. And because Anthony Kennedy is fully retired now from the Supreme Court, he's not there to stop them uh, necessarily. Uh, and they need to get Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court before October 1st as quickly as they can in case any more of these uh, Democrat federal district judges try to throw a monkey wrench in the election uh, to benefit the Democrats. So they're going to have the committee vote on September 13th. It can be delayed by a week by the Democrats to September 20th, which means he will still be confirmed before the Supreme Court officially meets October 1st, but they're trying to get him there more quickly than that. Now, meet the press. I was there this weekend, and you find out all sorts of gossip in the green room. Uh, one of the cool things about doing shows like this, uh, particularly on the weekend, is because you got multiple shows going on on multiple networks, but there's a common green room. The green I don't know why they call it the green room. I used to know. I forgot. Uh, nonetheless, it's not green. And all the different shows, all of the people who are on the different shows come into the green room and hang out and chat. And, you know, the cameras aren't rolling so that the partisans can talk frankly with each other. I will tell you this. I have not encountered a single national Democrat who believes Stacey Abrams is going to win, nor believes Beto O'Rourke is going to win. Um, so what the Democrats believe about Beto O'Rourke and Stacey Abrams is that they won't win, but they will help congressional races, particularly in Texas. There are a number of districts there. Will Hurd is one of them in Texas, uh, a, a seat that leans to the left more and more demographically. They think he can be picked off. Rob Woodall here in Georgia, they think may be endangered. No one thinks Karen Handel is in danger um, on the Democratic side right now, although they're going to make best efforts at it uh, in case it's a surprise. Thinking about the Democratic momentum with John Ossoff in a special election, um, a special election turnout tends to be down. So if you have it in a regular election with the changing demographics in DeKalb County, maybe, just maybe, they can beat Karen Handel, although they're much more focused on Rob Woodall. But again, uh, they don't think that uh, that Stacey Abrams or Beto O'Rourke will win their own races, just that they may help turn out in some congressional races. Now, as for the other topics on Meet the Press, I've got Selena Zito uh, coming up at the top of the six o'clock hour. Now, she is going to a conference down in Sea Island. You guys are all invited to. But the real reason I wanted to have her on, though, is because she wrote that great book about Trump voters. And it's coming into play here. With the Woodward book coming out in the anonymous column, one of the things that she noted in a column recently uh, that caused left-wing activists to attack her 
was that Trump voters, they're going to stick with him despite all this stuff. Let me play you this audio uh, from Meet the Press. There are two nuggets in here that are worth recounting to you. Here I am from yesterday, Meet the Press with Chuck Todd on NBC. My working theories is like murder on the Orient Express. Each of the deniers contributed a sentence to the op-ed. Uh, we've got <laughs> that, this overall I, thing. By the way, that has been my theory. It's yeah. one person, but it, speaking for speaking a couple for others. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, I, I think that's true, but I think there's, there's a misperception out there that President Trump's voters don't believe this. I think it's actually they don't care um, that they he is beating yes. all the people who they've wanted to beat on both sides. It's not just against the Democrats. They've put him in the White House because he spoke for them. He gave them voice. They don't care about this. And I, we can they almost think it's funny. It. Yes, they do. Yes, they um, almost are they, amused they by it. Aren't like they? that Washington is so upside down because yep. they feel like Washington has turned them upside down. Yes, they do. I mean, that is the thing that people don't understand about the Bob Woodward book. They don't understand about the anonymous op-ed. By the way, CNN has a poll out. 55% of Americans think the anonymous op-ed writer should reveal themselves. Uh, an even greater majority believe that it is, get this, even Democrats believe uh, that you should not be undermining the president's agenda. Now, there are two things to talk about here. First, on the anonymous op-ed, it is growing gossip, a rumor, not substantiated. And I should be careful to emphasize this, not substantiated, but it's what Chuck Todd was getting at there in his response. There is a growing belief among people in Washington that the person who wrote the anonymous op-ed was a junior level staffer who interacts regularly with the president, but more importantly, wrote the op-ed on behalf of senior staffers who none of us would want to lose their jobs, per se. Uh, in other words, it was a, a junior staffer who is a loyal conservative who can take the fall if someone if, if he gets or she gets outed uh, and will save without getting in trouble the senior staffers who all wanted this out there. Now, whether that's true or not, again, Washington, the, these things, the, these are parlor games for Washington. This is all gossip. Uh, it's it's informative gossip in, in that it's it's useful for you to understand how this stuff works in Washington D.C. when we're so far removed from this sort of stuff. Uh, they but there's a growing conventional wisdom setting in that whoever wrote this was writing it on behalf of even more senior people. It was very interesting. I was there. Uh, Kellyanne Conway was on set uh, with Chuck Todd. We sit behind. You can't tell from the camera that we're really behind uh, Chuck Todd and Kellyanne Conway. And she did a laid out a very good defense of the president. I think she's right that this person does more harm than good. This person uh, probably does need to come forward now and say to them, I do think it puts the New York Times in some trouble that if this person is revealed to not be very significant, then everyone's going to laugh about it. It destroys their credibility. But the Bob Woodward book is coming out. There are some troubling allegations in there as well. And Woodward claims that he did talk to some of the people saying he never talked to them. Now, the other big issue, though, is that Trump voters just don't care. I want to talk to Selena Zito about that at the top of the next hour. They don't care. They knowingly and willfully elected a temper tantrum to tear up Washington, D.C., to upend it, to turn everything upside down. And as long as the president is doing that, they're thankful because what most Washington politicians do not understand is that the voters really, really hate them. And they may not even like President Trump, but they like that he's gotten under the skin of the people who promised the American public to help them 
and then got elected and turned their backs on him. They like that. And as long as he's still doing that, it doesn't matter what he does, except, does it? There's some new polling that suggests people may, particularly women. Well, I got to go into some radar details with you here. It is 26 after the hour. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800, WSB-TALK. Now, let's get back into the polling situation. Uh, Female voters in the United States, including Republican women, have taken a decidedly negative turn towards President Trump. And I got to ask, I don't know the answer to this. I do not know the answer, but it is cropping up more and more in conversations. And anecdote is not data. I always get so frustrated when people call in and and they give me an example and they think that that must be data. No, it's an anecdote. Or I give them the data and they say, well, I'm not one of them. And they presume that the data is wrong. No, you've got an anecdote. Here's my anecdote. The number of conversations I'm having with people who keep saying, well, Pence would be okay. How many people are starting to say we love what this administration is doing, but if we got to take Pence, that's okay. And is that affecting the polling? It's 39 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. Now, I want to get into this polling issue that we're starting to see. And it actually, the New York Times has hired a pollster to do live operator um, landline and cell phone calls, which is actually impressive because it's very expensive to pull off. There are no online polls here. We're seeing again and again in this primary system that what we know to be true is true. Polling that is online is not accurate. And live operator polls are more accurate than robo-polls. And, you know, that's somewhat counterintuitive because there is a reality that a lot of people lie to pollsters. But we're seeing that live operator polling to cell phone groups and landline groups is the most accurate. One thing we're also seeing that needs to be mentioned, and we didn't have time to get into this on Meet the Press yesterday, It is not a coincidence that the major shift towards the Democrats and the major decline of the president's popularity have come over Labor Day. And I want to explain this to you because you're seeing it here with the Brian Kemp, Stacey Abrams race. This is very consistent in Georgia that every major Labor Day poll of a statewide race going back to 2006 that I can find has a an advantage for the Democrats that doesn't bear out by the time you get to the November poll. And so what's going on here? And if you'll allow me to explain it to you uh, just real quick, I I, want to explain this one to you and, and you can be the most informed person in your group of friends, unless all your friends listen to me and then you're all the most informed people. Polling involves polling subsets of people. You got to have so many Republicans and so many Democrats. And the pollsters have decided this year 
that the momentum is actually with the Democrats. So most of the polls you're going to see have a slightly higher pool of Democratic voters. In fact, some polls in some states have more Democrats and independents than they have Republicans. And the reason for that is there is a, a polling calculus from those pollsters that independent voters are Republican voters, but they don't particularly care for the president. And that's borne out by the data, by the way. If you call yourself an independent, the odds are you're a Republican who doesn't like President Trump. If you call yourself a moderate, the odds are you're a Democrat who doesn't like the left-leaning drift of the Democratic Party. Nonetheless, so they, they've got to poll X number of Democrats and X number of Republicans. Well, what happens over the holidays? Hmm? So you, they've got to interview X number of Democrats and X number of Republicans. They don't have to interview uh, X number of conservative Republicans, just, just Republicans. So when you get to a holiday, when you get to a weekend, Republicans tend to be, Republican people who are polled tend to have a greater chance of being married and tend to have a greater chance of having multiple children and so tend to have a greater chance of not talking to a pollster because on holidays they go on vacation with their family and on weekends they turn the phone off or they go to church or whatever they do, they go to Little League games. So the caliber of Republican that a pollster encounters on the weekend tends to be a more liberal Republican, a Republican who is in a social values conservative, is a is a buckhead liberal rich Republican who only cares about their pocketbook issues. And that affects the polling because a liberal Republican is more likely to be, consider a Stacey Abrams, for example than a conservative Republican with a family. A well-to-do buckhead financier who votes Republican because they love the Chamber of Commerce is much more likely to consider Stacey Abrams if they think she won't hurt business than a Brian Kemp who comes across as one of those icky socialist conservatives that you live in one of those buckhead skyscraper apartment buildings so that you don't have to relate to those people. And so you tell the pollster you're a Republican, but yeah, you're thinking you may vote for Stacey Abrams. Well, come Monday, when all those actual Republicans show back up with their kids, their 3.5 kids and their 2.5 dogs and their husband or wife, well, the pollster calls them and guess what? They're more conservative. And so the polling skews. So go back and look at the polling trends. In the last week, there's been a huge shift against the president. There's been a huge shift to the Democrats in the generic ballot. There's been a huge shift to the Democrats in a number of races, whether it's the Ted Cruz race or the Stacey Abrams, Brian Kemp race, you name it. And they all involved Labor Day vacation polling. If the trend line holds for the next series of polls, then we have a real problem. If the trend line does not hold, well, you still got a problem because the polling still suggests the Democrats have lots of momentum. But you don't have nearly the problem that you think you have right now because Labor Day is affecting the polls still. Showers developing over the Brave Stadium. I keep wanting to say Turner Field instead of SunTrust Park. That's why I keep saying the Brave Stadium. The phone number 404 872 750 1 800 WSB Talk. 
When we come back, Selena Zito is going to join me. Uh, we're going to talk about the Trump voter phenomenon that so many people have ignored as to why they stick with the president. I interviewed her at the resurgent gathering. Uh, we've also got to talk about Kamala Harris and her slander of um, Brett Kavanaugh. I've got some audio to play for you on that. But real quick, I got to tell you guys. Uh, so my daughter turned 13. We had our birthday party this weekend. I did not know it was possible, but it apparently is ascertained fact that a group of 12 and 13 year old girls is way louder than an equivalent group of boys. I, I, I had no idea. I assumed that, that the boys would be, but apparently they just like climb all over everything and go outside and climb trees and try not to die. The girls stay in the house, crank up the, the Taylor Swift and scream, sing it. It's not really even singing it. It's like screaming at the top of their lungs. See, it was, it was an impressive feat. I, I have to tell you, it was very impressive. By the time it was over, I was thinking rocking chair and stiff drink on the front porch. That that's, what I was thinking, but I had to go catch a plane to go to be on Meet the Press. So my flight was supposed to leave at 5. It was rescheduled to 10 p.m. so I could be here for the birthday party. And I was kind of thinking the whole time, why? Why didn't I just take the 5 p.m.? My wife would have killed me, but still, it was very loud, needless to say. If you've never experienced a group of 13, 12-year-old girls in your house, God bless you. God help you if you ever have to. Now... When we come back, we've got Selena Zito. We've also got the Kamala Harris audio. We've also got, well, local politics here as the state of play on the health care debate shapes up in the Georgia governor's race. One candidate wants to expand Obamacare of the state. I bet you know who. One candidate doesn't. We will break it all down when we come back here on WSB. It's nine after the hour. I am Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. The phone number, well, I'll give you the phone number in a little bit, but I've got a guest with me right now. And I don't want to take your phone calls because I want to talk to Selena Zito, the author of The Great Revolt, a great columnist, also a CNN contributor. Welcome. How are you? I'm awesome. Thanks so much for having me on. Yes, indeed. Now, I, I want to get this out of the way uh, up front because yeah. I actually want to talk to you a little bit. You're going to actually be here. Well, well, not here, but in Sea Island, uh, November 8th through the 11th, uh, the Washington Examiner going to do a, a political summit at Sea Island, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. Actually, it ends up being my fourth trip to Georgia fourth or fifth um, in the in a year, but I've never been to Sea Island. I'm pretty excited about the event. We have a, a, a really diverse and interesting sort of um, panel of different people that are going to be speaking, including me. Uh, I don't know if that part's interesting <laughs> or not. Yes. <laughs> it's and really I mean, hard to talk about yourself, right? Yeah, I, I get it. Carl Rove, Newt Gingrich, Steve Scalise, Devin Nunes, Leonard Leo. It, it's going to be it's going to be great. And I know one of the things you'll be talking about, obviously, is this midterm election. And, you know, I was on Meet the Press yesterday and, and I made a point largely inspired by you and your book then and your recent column on Trump voters in these 
these allegations that as long as he continues to discombobulate Washington, D.C., which these people really hate for making lots of promises and breaking, they're kind of okay with the president continuing down here, regardless of what Bob Woodward says. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely true. So one of the things I found fascinating in the past couple of days is how much people were really excited about President Obama coming out. And, you know, a lot of Democrats are saying, oh, finally, here he is. And so I think this clash that we're going to see between Obama and Trump that looks like it's going to happen is that Obama is an incredible speaker. No matter whether you like his politics or not, he really has a great way of delivering words. And, and so a lot of voters, um, look, you know, look at this, that, that speech and say, or, or a series of speeches and say, oh, my God, I missed that. But a lot of these voters also said, you know, I really liked him personally, but I didn't really see what I wanted in terms of results and policy. And then right. some of the voters look at President Trump and say, oh, my gosh, I voted for him. Sometimes I really wish he wouldn't say the things that he does. But the results, like, I can't complain about them. Right. And, and, so and a lot of those people are former Obama voters that you highlighted in your book. Exactly. Nine percent of the population. And that can obviously swing an election. Voted for um President Obama twice and then voted for President Trump. I think what people don't understand, Eric, and I, and um, and and this is something. This is part of some of the things that um, that are discussed in the Great Revolt, is that voters dislike Democrats and Republicans, establishment people equally. Right. And and people forget how important that was going into uh, the voting booth on election night, and which is why I'm super hesitant to say there's a huge blue tsunami and it's all over for the Republicans, because uh, I'm I'm just very cautious in 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 assessing what ends up happening on election night. Right. Because there's a lot of those Trump voters. Didn't you know, it's twenty in the Drave Revolt? Twenty-three percent of the voters uh, that um, that voted for Trump did not uh, tell a pollster or friends or mm-hmm. family members that they voted for him. I don't know that they don't take that same sentiment into um, the voting booth in, in November. Okay, it, it, let, let me go back to this point because one of the, one of the the conversations, green room. I, I love green room conversations where no cameras rolling, yeah. so people are really candid. Is that I, I think Democrats have such a strong love affair with Barack Obama, they don't understand that in suburban Republican leaning areas, he could actually drive up Republican votes, particularly making this a gun control election. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, that is sort of the danger, right? And that's why some Democrats are saying privately, look, uh, we really didn't want him to come out because he kind of reminds voters uh, why they why they fled towards uh, Donald Trump, and it's on issues like gun control. Uh, they miss how important that is to a suburban voter, in particular suburban women. There's an entire chapter in the Great Revolt um, called "Girl Gun Power," uh, who Republican women who are specifically targeted by the Hillary campaign with really great ads. Uh, but it was ineffective with them because of their their the, the, the feeling of empowerment 
that have the, the Second Amendment gives them, the ability to protect themselves and protect right. their families. Uh, I, I, my, my co-author and I thought that that was a fascinating person to look at uh, because, gee, why, why didn't those ads work? Those ads were great. Well, because the Second Amendment really was that important to them over his comportment and over in the things that they didn't like that he said. Yeah, yeah, and you know, let me ask you this because I, I think it is safe to say, although Democrats like to dispute this, but I think it's safe to say the Republicans now are the majority party in the country. I mean, even in in twenty twelve when Romney lost to Obama, Republicans made gains at the state level still in 2010, 2012, oh, yeah. 2014. and so Democrats now are increasingly the ideological party. And they're in such huge urban bubbles along the coast that I don't know that they really even know anymore a message that works in the heartland. Yeah, I mean, that's their biggest challenge going forward. If they run, and I've written about this, right, if they run, and this goes for both parties, because I think the Republicans did a really poor job in their messaging in both special elections in Pennsylvania 18, where I live, and also Ohio 12, which isn't that far from me. They made it these big national um, messaging. If you go with localism, you win. When you go about what's most important in a district like, you know, bridges, roads, (laughs) infrastructure, sewer systems, you know, those kinds of things that really matter in a community, you're much more likely to win that district. And and so I think that's the challenge for both Republicans and Democrats in running in these House seats. The more they keep it local, the more likely they are to win. The more they nationalize it, the more unlikely they are to win, especially in a swing district. Yeah, and it, it seems like the Democrats have decided to, to try to nationalize this with Donald yeah. Trump and a lot of their TV rhetoric. And I've noticed that there are some Democrats around the country that really aren't talking about the president. I mean, there's a real contrast, I think, among some of the Democrats. I mean, like Heidi Heiskamp, for example, in North Dakota, trying to avoid talking about the president like the plague. Beto O'Rourke making him a, a campaign issue in Texas. Yeah, I, I think that, that, that the more you make it about him, particular in a very red state the, um, like North Dakota, like Texas, I mean, you know, everyone is talking about um, Beto, right? Is that how you pronounce yeah, it? Yeah, because Bob, I think, in, actually. Okay. okay, all right. Um, so he, his greatest challenge is uh, he's going to try to make it about uh, Donald Trump, but if he's, you know, if Cruz, and this is not a big if, Cruz is going to do this. If Cruz forces him to talk about the issues, I think what we will see, in particular in debates, is that he, Beto, is not up on the issues in the way that Cruz is. And in particular in a state, in a border state, where where issues are, they matter. Right. It's, it's not just, oh, I'm, I'm anti-Trump and I hate Trump. That can't be it in Texas. I mean, you and I both been to Texas. That ain't going to fly with voters. Right. And that's one thing that I think that the national media is missing about Cruz. He is a killer on the issues. Uh, and, and he's going to be able to outflank Beto on that issue, uh, on, the, uh, on those um, um, really big policy um, uh, issues that come right. to um, – 
that come to light during a debate. And I think that at that point, people will start to realize, well, wait a minute, this really isn't a race. <laughs> Funny how that works. Selena Zito, we got to leave it there. Yeah. People can go to SeaIslandSummit.com to find out more about the summit that you're going to be at. It's always good to talk to you. Oh, it's always odd. Next time, can we talk about food? Yes, absolutely. One day you and I will have a cooking show. This is going to be so awesome. We are going to be the biggest ratings in the world with our cooking show. Absolutely. That right now. Thank you very much. <laughs> Selena Zito, author of The Great Revolt. Uh, you can check her out at SeaIslandSummit.com. She'll be there with Carl Rove, uh, Newt Gingrich, Devin Nunes, and Steve Scalise. This is the Washington Examiner's uh, post-election summit happening November 8th through the 11th. Twenty-six after the hour. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. To the phones we go. Craig in Kennesaw, you're up next. Welcome. Hey, Eric. How you doing? Good. How are you? Hey, doing fantastic. Uh, just wanted to uh, let you know that uh, I don't remember about four years ago, my oldest son and I came in and yes. spent, uh, spent the show with you and stuff like that and had a couple beers after. So Yes. Uh, just wanted to uh, uh, let you know, I, you know, the polls thing, I just wanted to ask you a question. You make reference to the polls, you know, as well as I do that 2016, the polls were completely wrong. Um, two questions. Number one, what makes you confident that those polls are any more accurate today than they were back in 2016? And number two, what, what do polls really mean to me, the average voter who they really have no they're not really for me because i'm decided i know what i believe in what what value do they really have for the, uh, well for the so voter? a couple of things um first to the polling was wrong in 2016 remember they showed hillary winning the popular vote by about two and a half percent and she won by 2.3 percent um so they're they're not completely wrong the ones that you need to pay attention to are the ones that are live operator polls to cell phones and landlines. Those polls have been consistently accurate throughout. Uh, They were accurate in 2016. So why worry about the polls? Well, it shows us a trajectory of where the country is headed, uh, and it shows us the shifts. So we can see, for example, if the president has a fantastic press conference or something, we can see a rebound in the polls and say, this is what... Republicans need to be doing more of as we head to November. And if it collapses, we can say this is what they shouldn't do. So it gives us a good snapshot of the mood of the electorate. It helps us know what the politicians are seeing in their own polling. And we're not going to be really surprised on Election Day unless the polls really blow it, which they haven't. It's 39 after the hour. Y'all, we have to pause here because I need this memorialized, attested to, witnessed, and and known that I have to be in the bunker today because my wife has Bible study. And I went out during break to just make sure everything's okay, make sure the kids are getting fed, and... She's helping the 13-year-old with her homework and challenges me to see if I can do the math problem. And I'm working on the math problem. And nope, 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 that's nope, nope, uh, nope, 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 that's nope, 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 the whole time I'm doing it. 
And at the end, oh, I got it right. You got it wrong. Nope. I got it right. She got it wrong. I just, I, we, we just, we just need that memorialized and attested. And if I sound like I'm not speaking very loudly, it's because even though I have soundproof doors here, I don't want her to hear and bust in and shoot me. But nonetheless, I just want you to know I got the problem right. <laughs> okay. Now I can move on that. I feel, I feel superior at the moment. <laughs> Y'all, so the Democrats have been peddling the story about Brett Kavanaugh claiming, and Thomas, don't you call her right now, father-in-law of mine, don't you call her and tell her that I just said anything about this. Just be proud of your son-in-law at this moment. Don't start a fight. <laughs> um, so Kamala Harris, she decided to take Brett Kavanaugh out of context. He was asked about uh, the Supreme Court's Hobby Lobby case. And I want to play you not the entire clip of what Brett Kavanaugh said. I want to play you how Kamala Harris edited the clip. Now, keep in mind that Kamala Harris says this is what Brett Kavanaugh has to say about birth control, that he believes all birth control causes abortion. Listen to this. Filling out the form would make them complicit in the provision of uh the uh, abortion-inducing drugs that they were, as a religious matter, objected to. Now, she says that this is his view on birth control and that it is offensive to put a man on the Supreme Court who would consider contraception to be abortion-inducing drugs. Elizabeth Warren did the same thing. Uh, Jeff Merkel, Senator Merkel did the same thing. Uh, and two other Democratic senators all echoed Kamala Harris. They all took that clip. CNN did an entire story based on that clip of uh, how badly bungled Brett Kavanaugh gets what birth control is and does. What CNN did not mention and what all of these Democratic senators did not mention, and what all the Democrats who were parodying them have not bothered to look at, is that he wasn't talking about birth control. He was talking about the Supreme Court's Hobby Lobby decision. He was talking about the Supreme Court's rationale for the Hobby Lobby decision. And he was talking about specifically that the mandate that was being fought by Hobby Lobby, Conestoga Wagon, Little Sisters of the Poor, and the like, were all about drugs that actually are designed to induce abortions in pregnant women. You would not know that from Kamala Harris. You would not know that from Senator Merkel. You would not know that from Senator Warren. You would not know that from any of the other Democratic senators. You would not know that from CNN. And it pains me to say it, but one of the fact-checking organizations that tend to be uniformly liberal actually had to stand up and say, wait, no, this, this is wrong. This is an example of the herd mentality of the media directing voters, Democratic voters in particular, to half-truths and lies, claiming that those are facts and they're not. So back to this Kavanaugh stuff. We've got a willful distortion from the Democrats. There is polling out that something like 55, 56% of Democrats believe that the Russians didn't, it, not that they colluded to steal the election, not that they tried to disrupt the American democratic processes, but that the Russians actually changed votes at the ballot box or stuffed ballot boxes. 
or that the Russians actually hacked voting machines to steal the election. 55% of Democrats believe that the Russians actually physically stole votes. There is no evidence for that. Barack Obama has dismissed that. Jay Johnson, his uh, Secretary of Homeland Security, dismissed that. James Comey of the FBI dismissed that. The Mueller investigators dismissed that. The Senate dismisses that. The Senate Democrats dismiss that. The House dismisses it. The House Democrats dismiss it. The Secretary, American Association of Secretaries of State dismiss it. But 55, 56% of Democrats believe it. They have this very smug opinion of Republican voters now that Republicans are going around believing all sorts of lies told by Donald Trump. Here are Democratic voters willfully, spitefully believing a lie because they still can't come to terms with the fact that Hillary Clinton was such a terrible candidate. So we, you know, I, I want to go back to Craig's um, call and, and Craig, you and your son should come back um, and, and hang out again. He, he Craig called a little while ago after I interviewed Selena Zito on, on polling and, and why does it even matter? Well, you know, first of all, let's go back to 2016 and there are really bad pollsters out there. You, you should know there are terrible pollsters out there. And I frankly am highly skeptical of a lot of pollsters who poll in Georgia. Many of them are upstart pollsters. So uh, never pay attention to pollsters with no track record and never pay attention to pollsters who have an online component. I, I think the online components are garbage. Uh, but pay attention to pollsters who uh, do live operator phone calls. <clears throat> and you can pay attention to the robo polls, but they're not quite as accurate. They don't have the historic track record of live operator pollsters. Um, but we shouldn't be completely dismissive of polls because contrary to, to a widely held opinion, polling was actually really good in 2016. Now, the reason people say it wasn't good is because the polling had Hillary Clinton winning and Trump won, but the polling can't poll the Electoral College. Uh, the polling polled nationally, and Hillary Clinton got roughly what the polls said she would get. She won the popular vote. The polls are a measure of popular vote. Uh, had they actually taken, and some researchers did, they, they took statewide polling, and they broke down statewide polling, and actually, you know, if you took the statewide polling, it would have turned out that Donald Trump did win. The reason that pollsters don't do that is because it's really really, really expensive, particularly for a news organization, to do that level of statewide polling. They're going to have to come up with an alternative probably in 2020. But polling does give us an accurate snapshot of the mood of voters if the polls are good. And again, live operators that call cell phones are the best polls. CNN has a live operator call cell phones poll. 69% of Americans rate the economy extremely positive. And a lot of people look at this and say, well, then the president's number should be much higher. The problem with this is that if you actually delve into the polling data, what you find out is that the president's numbers are as high as they are because of the economy. If the economy tanked, the president would be probably below 30% popularity right now. He's hovering around 40 uh, the lowest popularity for a president headed into a midterm election since George W. Bush in 2006. 
which doesn't look good historically, except we may still save the Senate. Maybe. Maybe.